We thank you that you are the lion and the lamb. You are the everlasting one, the alpha and the omega, and we get to worship you because of what Jesus has done for us. So cause us now to hear from your word. By your spirit, we ask in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to ask or invite Close and Daniel to come up with he here for a few minutes. Yeah. And uh, as they come up, I'm just going to take a few minutes and have them share a bit of their story. Oh, look, there's more than I ever need. Um, Daniel and Close, thank you for joining me up here uh, this morning. Yeah, you can sit right there, Daniel. That's perfect. And uh, really glad that you guys are up here with me. You can also demask up here because you're going to talk and you're way away from everybody. So they're fine. It'll be easier to hear without it. Um, Daniel's been part of our church community for uh, some time now. We're really thankful for him. He's also uh, a neighbor who lives with us here at North End Landing. And I'm going to pass this over to Daniel and then a close say. Daniel, take a minute and just tell us a bit about God's story in your life. So I came to Hamilton about five years ago. Um, I was adopted when I was three years old, lived in Newfoundland for 20 plus years. I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I guess for me, um, growing up with uh, disability, dealing with uh, autism and depression and anxiety, I guess for me, the uh, biggest challenge was uh, being able to uh, connect well with uh, my peers and friends and throughout school and even in the workplace, the uh, the challenge of uh, being respected by coworkers and uh, other people in, in authority um, has been a challenge in my life. Uh, I look at these difficulties in my life as an opportunity to let God work through that. And uh, I guess coming to Ontario was a real positive thing. Um, I did go through a major clinical depression in 2017 where I did um, make an attempt on my life. Um, but by God's grace, he brought me through that difficult time through the help of my mom who was here in Ontario for, uh, for two years helping me settle before I moved into the Perkins Center and now currently at um, North End Landing here in uh, Hamilton. Uh, I guess uh, the biggest thing for me is looking back, I see how God preserved my life how he's continued to work in my life and how he's continuing to show himself. Um, more recently, I've been uh, blessed with uh, having Sarah in my life and uh, how uh, many people um, thought I wouldn't be able to uh, um, be in a, in a, in a positive uh, dating relationship and just seeing how God's worked through that and allowing God to... Uh, continue to work in my life and to have an impact on the lives of those around me. Daniel, we're so thankful for the work that God has done in your life, and we love that you're a part of our community. I'm going to get you to pass that to Close. Close, it looks like you have a beard um, with your mask like that. Uh, Close is our pastoral intern on staff with us, um, and uh, he works with the Karen congregation on, uh, on Sunday afternoons. And, and Close, tell us a bit about about what God's done in your life, about your journey and story. You don't have to just raise the mic up so that we can hear you. Uh, I came from Burma, known as Myanmar. I didn't grow up as a Christian or in, uh, around the Christian uh, community. 
my parents, the, we, we are the enemies, we believe in the spirit, but I came to Thailand in refugee camp um, since uh, 1986, and we, I became a legal refugee in 1993. So this takes a long time to be a, become a refugee, but uh, yeah, in 1998, I became a Christian. The message that I heard is, if you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. If you don't believe, you go to hell. Uh, I don't like the message, but uh, it's changed my life. But uh, I know many young people today don't like the message that, you know, go to hell. But uh, I, I don't know whether it's in the Bible or not, but uh, Pastor Dave will help me with that. Uh, yeah, uh, I see God uh, blessing. Uh, since I came to Canada in 2006, uh, I was, you know, blessed to go through the church, uh, not in uh, gym, not yet, but... Um, a couple of years ago, I joined the church in Jesus Tree and Jim Now Theatre. I see, you know, the uh, faithfulness of the people here, and then I see what God is doing around the Jim North Church, and uh, yeah, that's I also feel and uh, experience God is working in my life to to have my community here. Close, say thank you. I'm going to ask you a follow-up question and come back to Daniel. I, I just want you guys to hear this because most of us don't understand this. Close lived for over 20 years in a refugee camp with no running water, no sanitation, no electricity. Did you hear that? Could you imagine 20 years of your life, 24 years, no running water, no sanitation, no electricity? And uh, Close, when you guys came here, a number of missionaries had gone to the refugee camps. Oh, and I should say, 400,000 people living together there with no running water, no sanitation, no electricity. 400,000. It's almost the size of Hamilton. Close missionaries went into the refugee camp sharing the gospel, and as they did so, a number of the Karen came to faith in Christ, but when they came to Canada, they found their faith challenged. Tell us a bit about that. Um, yes, we hear about... Canada from the representative from the United Nations High Commissioner, uh, Commissioner from Refugee. They said that Canada is a Christian country, but uh, yeah, I thought we go to church. But uh, when I came to Canada, uh, it's a little bit different, you know, environment. Uh, our kids go to school and young people, they kind of don't want to talk about God, and, you know, Christ, the church, and uh, uh, that's the strange uh, to the parents that who became Christian in a refugee camp, and uh, uh, it's very hard to display, uh, to train your kids in Canada with the, yeah, as people, many of us don't know the law, you know, the uh, children in society, and many of us, you know, <clears throat> get into trouble with, you know, how to display their kids, and uh, yeah, it's very hard, you know, to, to train your kids when you don't know the law and you don't know, even know the Bible to teach them. And so then a number of those young people abandoned their faith and walked away from the Lord, is that? Uh, yes. Their parents are, you know, uh, true believers, though they don't know much about Bible or they don't know uh, much about theology, but they, you know, like the song, uh, the Jesse said, you know, be still and know that I'm God. They know that there's God that they trust, but uh, yeah, the many kids, you know, they... They are confused. Yeah. Thank you, Close. I'm going to pass that back to Daniel. Daniel, you talked about how you lived at the Perkins Center, and then you moved into North End Landing. And um, 
we're so thankful that you're here and part of our community and living as one of our neighbors. Talk to us about what having supportive affordable housing has meant to you. Having supportive affordable housing for me has been a huge blessing. Um, the knowing to have a place over my head and I guess the whole idea of knowing if I'm not able to work due to um, illness or injury, I'm able to um, have a place to live and provide for my for my for myself um, and uh, from a broader sense having the uh, affordable housing for those that are struggling with addictions or mental health or other uh, challenges um, is an opportunity for the church to be able to uh, bring the light of the gospel into the lives of these individuals amen amen Daniel, how can we pray for you? Um, currently, I'm in my last, last uh, year of studies at Mohawk College and the pharmacy technician program. Um, looking forward to being able to graduate and, and look for work. But currently, I'm doing a work term at a pharmacy in the downtown area. And yeah, I would appreciate prayer in regards to uh, the learning curve that it is to... Uh, do the various tasks in the pharmacy, and more importantly, that I would have an impact on the people that I'm working with, that they would uh, get a glimmer of hope from the uh, truth of the gospel that, that I can present through my actions, words, and deeds. Thank you, Daniel. And if you pass that back to Close, um, and I'll pray in a moment. Um, Close, as a number of the young people had abandoned their faith, as a number of them have struggled in being here as parents still have faith, but it's a, it's a very um, beginner faith in terms of they don't know a lot about the Bible or Trinity. We got involved, and some people from our church got involved in Bible studies with the young women. Uh, we started preaching at the church every other week. Um, we brought you on as an intern. Um, some of the children are coming on uh, Tuesday night to the kids' ministry, some of the youth on Tuesday night, some of the youth on Thursday night, and we've just kind of gotten involved in, your, in, in the ministry of, of the Karen here as part of our ministry. We voted on this 10 years ago. This would be something that we would do as a congregation. We've done it ever since. Talk to us about what God's doing. <clears throat> yeah, it's great to see that uh, many of our young people come back to church, uh, especially to, uh, with the help of uh, Pastor Day, Pastor Marcio, Pastor Paul, and with the other people that trained our young people with the Bible study and so uh, many of our kids come back to Sunday school class in the afternoon that uh, with uh, Mrs. Uh, Diana Crossbeth. It's uh, we are very blessed you know through gym of church here uh, I mean spiritually and in everything that we want to say thank you very much for the, your support and with the help of the pastor and the leader so yeah thank you very much. And close, I'm going to ask in a moment we can pray for you for, but I want you to know what God's doing. Since the beginning of this year, we have now baptized 10 of the Karen young men and women, 10 of them, have come to faith in Christ, repented of sin, trusted him, are walking with him. We've now performed a number of marriages, many of whom were couples who were living together before they were married. And as they were convicted of their sin, they repented, trusted Christ, and are now walking with him. But it doesn't mean it's not hard sometimes 
In the midst of all of that celebration, on Friday, the young man who was gunned down in our city, his parents attend this church every week. And last night, closely went to see them. This afternoon, I will take the service. Here, I wasn't supposed to. I don't even know what I'm going to say yet this afternoon. I've written down so much that I don't know what to say. What do you say to a community when they've watched 10 of their young people turn from their sin and trust Christ, and one of them was gunned down in the midst of a mess? And now they're grieving together. What do you say to parents who've watched their friends' kids come to faith in Christ and trust him and be baptized by Marcia, myself, others? And they know that their son isn't about to be baptized. That will be my task this afternoon. And then after that, Close and I are going to go visit the family. I talked to Close on the phone yesterday for quite some time. And after I was done, I said, arrange a time where you can go and, or you and I can go and visit the family, maybe after the service today. And when I talked to him again later last night, I said to Close, did you call the family and arrange a time? He said, I went and saw them. I said, oh, Close, you are brave. Because as someone who's a pastoral intern learning to do this, as your first funeral, to be walking alongside a family whose son was gunned down, that's a hard one. In fact, there probably aren't many harder ones. So we need to be praying for them. Closely, how can we pray? Um, pray for the family. And, yeah. uh, I visit them and... Uh, yeah, it's very hard not to see. They, they told me that, like Pastor Dwayne said, uh, they uh, see many of young people come back to church and repent that they also want their kids to uh, encourage them to come to the youth class, uh, Bible study, but uh, I think it's too late now. Uh, yeah, but they still have a brother and a sister that need help, you know. We will try to help them as well. And how can we pray for you and your studies? I mean, Closely has a theology book right now, and he's, he's into course number four, five, and six. And the, I mean, the theology book is like this. And when he started to read, I said, how is it? He said, very challenging. How can we pray for you, Close? Uh, yeah, I need prayers. You know, I have to do the paperwork. <laughs> Last okay. night, I don't know, I don't know how to write something. And this morning, I seen the song that said that he, he was there before the light. So I thought maybe I go home and I write something about the <laughs> theology. <laughs> So, that, yeah, it's very hard for me to sometimes it's take about hours to, to write down only a few sentences to do the paperwork. But, uh, yeah, I uh, also have to study English, grammar, you know, it's not that easy, but, uh, yeah, I need your prayer. And thank you very much. He translates everything from Karen to English. Then he writes everything back down in Karen and has to translate it back to English to hand it in. Would you pray with me? You are God, and we're thankful for that. Thank you for Daniel, and thank you for his life. Thank you, God, for how you preserved it. Thank you for your work in his life and the ways, God, that you have powerfully moved there. Thank you that he's a part of our faith community here at James North Baptist Church. We thank you for him. We ask your blessing on him as he finishes this work term, as he finishes his time at Mohawk. Bless him. Bless him and Sarah and their relationship. As he's also asked to be a powerful witness uh, living in the building here, may you cause him to be so. God, may you use him in the lives of people around him in this building. For close say, we thank you for him and his family. We thank you for bringing them to Canada. We thank you for their work in our midst. And we're so blessed to have close say here. It's been such a joy to serve with him. God, I thank you for 
Um, the number of people we've seen come to faith in Christ in the last number of months through the care and congregation. I thank you for young adults and young women and young couples, God, who've repented of sin and trusted in you. And God, it has been a delight to watch. For this family, God, whom we will walk with today, God, we have nothing. You are the one who can console their broken hearts. And so, God, may you powerfully by your spirit, even this morning, be with them as his seven siblings and his parents grieve the loss of their brother. May you be with Close as he ministers to the family, be with myself and Marcio as we'll walk alongside of them and him. And God, may you use this in the lives of the Karen congregation again to revive. Be with Close in his studies, God bless him. We are thankful for his diligence and ask that you'd be with him as he studies. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Daniel and Close, thank you so much. I, I want to say this. I'm so excited about what God's doing. He's doing great things. It's not always easy. My mind doesn't stop. It just doesn't. Even when I'm doing nothing, when people say to me, when I say to them, what are you thinking about? And they say nothing. I don't understand that. Like, I, I'm never not thinking about nothing. It's just, it never happens to me. And, and my mind, since learning of this yesterday, my phone started to blow up from some of the young people about their friend being murdered on Friday, has just wrestled through, what do I do today? What do I say today? How do you comfort a community? And so in the midst of joy, there's also tragedy. In the midst of celebration, there's also mourning. And all that comes together. This is the word of the Lord. This is from Romans 12, beginning at verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with the faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, Give encouragement. If it is giving, give generously. If it is leading, do it diligently. If it's showing mercy, do it cheerfully. That is the word of the Lord. Serving the Lord can be hard. It can actually be incredibly challenging to do so. There's a variety of reasons for it. For some, it's just the time. The time it takes. I mean, it's hard. You're serving people that may not be like you, that you may not naturally, in the natural inclination of your life, connect with. Sometimes it's because the ser- people you're serving with are hard. They're other brothers and sisters in Christ, and you may not agree with them. You may not see eye to eye with them. You may be struggling with perspectives and ideas and what it would look like. Sometimes it's hard because of our own selfishness, right? We could just be narcissistic in our own selfishness. We can just be like, I, I just want my time for me. We compare ourselves to the world where in 2018 it was said that 41% of the people in Canada, this is Stats Canada, volunteer giving an hour or so a week to something. And the majority of those people are from faith communities, right, according to the Stats Canada. And as you, as you begin to hear that, you realize that you look at your non-believing friends who aren't at church this morning, who aren't going to be in a small group this week, who aren't going to find a place to serve. And you add up that time, you realize all those hours you give, like, man, it'd be better just to do nothing if you compare yourselves to them. 
And yet that's not how God has chosen to allow his kingdom to be wired. Last week I began talking about, as we talked to these Vision Sundays, about what it means to grow in our faith. And this Sunday about what it means to serve and to serve our God faithfully. And Paul says, God has granted him grace. And so he says to every one of them, never think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment. The idea there is don't think that you are the most gifted the wisest, the most talented person around. It's not true. Now, it also says, think of yourself with sober judgment. I, I know people who go to the opposite extreme. I know some people who like to talk about how gifted they are and how great they are and all their accolades and how everybody should listen to them. Sometimes they're 20 years old and you're like, you have not lived life at all. Sometimes they're 60 years old and everything around them is an abysmal mess. But they think they know everything. Sometimes I meet people on the opposite end who think they know nothing, who think they have no gifts, no talents, no abilities. And what does Paul say? What does the Word of God say? Think of yourself with sober judgment. Think of yourself, the idea is, accurately. Accurately. If God's given you the gift of hospitality, don't deny it. If God's given you a gift of mercy, don't say you don't have it. If God's granted you a gift in teaching or preaching or the prophetic word, don't push it away. He's saying, think of yourself accurately with sober judgment, and it's accordance with the faith that God has distributed to you. Now, this faith, the term here, is not about the faith used for the gifts. That's not what he's saying here. Tim Keller says this. This is exactly what it means. All of you have been given your saving faith in Christ crucified. That is how you measure yourself. That means we all need to, first of all, realize that we are all the same. The, the idea there is that we all as Christians come at the foot of the cross. None of us could save ourselves. All of us needed Christ's work in our life. Without the accomplished work of Christ, without his shed blood, we are nothing. We are absolutely nothing. And so all of us come at the foot of the cross to our Savior equally. None of us have greater standing in the kingdom of God. None of us get to stand before God and said, well, look at me. All of it is look at Jesus. Look at what he has done. Look at who he is. And so all of us come together, whether it be Daniel or Close, myself, one of you, together at the foot of the cross equally as brothers and sisters in Christ, as children of God who desperately needed salvation and are saved not by our works, by what Christ has done. And he said, just as the body, your body has many members. You have fingers, you have toes, you have liver, you have heart. So it is with the body of Christ. And yet they don't all have the same functions. My fingers don't do what my eyes do. My nose doesn't do what my legs do. You have different functions. And so in Christ, though we are many, we all together form this body. Together we are God's body. We are not independent. Rather, we are interconnected and we need each other. And then he goes on and he talks about the grace given in Gifts. This isn't a comprehensive list. There's lists of gifts in Corinthians and Ephesians. Some of the ones aren't mentioned here. None of the lists in Scripture are comprehensive. I believe that is the case because I believe that God chooses the gift as he will. They're God's gifts to us. And if God had written down a very comprehensive list, we think that it was one limited to that list, which I don't think it's limited to these lists. I think God can grant gifts in other ways as he so sees fit. And I think two it's granted in this way because God will grant each community different gifts. 
And so he offers them, and I think there's three categories here, speaking gifts, right? You see that in prophesying and teaching, leading gifts, and serving gifts. So he says, if, if your gift is prophesying, prophesy in alignment with your faith. We'll get into this as we walk through the book of Acts. I looked at this a bit a couple of summers ago. So what is prophesying? Well, a couple of things are important about prophecy. In both 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and Ephesians 4, that we looked at last week, the gift of prophecy is always mentioned after and in subjection to the apostolic gift. So what's the difference between the gift of prophecy and the apostolic gift? Well, prophesy, prophecy is always subject to divine inspiration. That means that prophecy is always subject to what the apostles have written and the prophets of the Old Testament, not the prophets of this day. No prophet today is divinely inspired in the way that the apostles were. And so prophecy today, when a prophet speaks, it's always subject to divine inspiration, to the apostles' teaching. The words of the prophets are always to be weighed and tested. The words of the apostles were always to be believed and obeyed. Did you hear that difference? The words of the prophets were always to be weighed and tested. The words of the apostles are always to be believed and obeyed. And prophets would speak to a congregation or a situation of an individual locally and situationally. Apostles universally and comprehensively. Does that make sense? Prophets are always local. Speaking locally, prophets are always speaking situationally. Apostles universally. So he says, if your gift is prophesying, may God use that gift in the midst of people. We'll talk more about that gift in the book of Acts. If it's serving... Serve. Pitch in. That's the idea. If it's serving, come alongside of others. If it's serving, help. Don't, don't be upset that your gift is serving. Be delighted that your gift is serving. And pitch in as you do so. If it's teaching, then teach. Engage the minds of people. Come alongside of them. Explain the word like some of the community groups will be, will be doing, the leaders. We have Priscilla and Maria working with the young women from the care and congregation. I'm working with a young man. I'll meet with them today at 1245 as I always do. Of course, today's going to look radically different. But as I do that, I teach. I went through the book of Ephesians with them. I'm now taking them through the book of John, the gospel of John, and simply teach them. This, this is what the word of the Lord says. If, if your gift is giving, the idea there when it says give is just let it go. Let it go and do it generously. That's the idea of generosity there. No strings attached. Just give it. There's no if. You know, I'll give this gift if the church will do this. No. God says, if your gift is generosity, then give. Now, I need to say this about this gift, and I'll get to this in a minute. When it comes to generosity, God calls all of us to do that. God says every believer is supposed to give generously and cheerfully. However, specifically, some people have gifts of generosity, and it doesn't here offer an income amount. It doesn't say, if you make 30000 be generous, or if you make a million, be generous. It says you have a gift of generosity, be generous. I missed one. It says if your gift is encouragement, give encouragement. Because it's hard, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine what type of encouragement the Karen congregation needs today? Can you imagine what type of encouragement those young men need today when I meet with them at 1245? So he says if your gift is encouragement in this hard world, put that into people. Offer them encouragement. Grant them the comfort they need. If it's leading, do so diligently. Be thoughtful about your leadership. Be weighed about it. Our leaders have tried to do that through COVID. It hasn't been easy. 
but we've worked hard and diligently at it. If it's mercy, do so cheerfully. Why that? Why cheerfully? Because offering mercy is often being compassionate and empathetic towards people that at times have higher and greater needs, and in doing so, at times, it can be incredibly challenging. And so Paul says, guard your heart, make sure when you are offering mercy that you do it with a cheerful heart, that you don't become frustrated, that you don't become upset. So how do you figure out your gift? Well, you try stuff. You show up at stuff and you try it. That's it. It's really not much harder than that. You ask God's spirit to reveal what gift he's granted you, gift or gifts. You ask other believers around you to see what gift or gifts they see in you, and then you use them. I mean, we have a disc analysis that we'll use to help you. And when do you do this? After you're saved. That's it. Not when you're 20 or 30 or 40. Or 50. There's no timeline given here. Not when you're retired or married. No. What's, what, when do you use the gift God's given you? When you're saved. And where do you use it? With the body of believers. So here's a simple question. Are you using your gift with this body of believers? Are you exercising the gift God's given you with this body? Or are you crippling us? Because God's given you a gift or gifts to use here and for whatever reasons you've come up with, you're not using them, and so you're actually crippling us from doing what God wants us to do. But as on this Sunday, and I offer vision for a couple of weeks, last week on growing in our faith, this week on serving, we serve with our time. We just sacrificially give our time to the Lord. We serve with our talent, the gift that God's given us, but we also serve with our treasure, with our money. In one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Luke 16, Jesus tells this parable. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in. What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. You can no longer be my manager. The manager said to himself, what will I do? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called in one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he said. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down, make it 450. He asked the second, how much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. Take your bill, make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Maybe it's because of this man that people are walked out of their offices now instead of given two weeks' notice. But this man is given notice, and in his notice, he goes and he takes accounts of people that owe his master money and commodities, and he marks them all down. Because he knows if he does that, once he loses his job, they'll welcome him in, unless they figured out how he ripped off his boss. Jesus doesn't commend him for his dishonesty. He calls him dishonest. But he does commend him for his shrewdness. And he says, you know what? The people of the world are better at shrewdness than are the people of God. You know, that's true. I mean, they've so turned the tables on us that they now call us immoral. They now call Christians immoral for our views on sexual ethic. Immoral. I mean, where has the world gone that we are now the immoral ones? That we are fools for believing that God exists and that God could create a universe. I mean, all you need to do is to get in a conversation with a non-believer who leans agnostic or atheistically, and you will find yourself in a very combative conversation very quickly. And Jesus says they're shrewd. 
The enemy is using them to win as many people over as possible, and you need to be better than that. To do what? He tells us, verse 9. I tell you, look at this, this is so important. Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. He says, use the wealth that God's given you, right? Because God owns everything. Because he's made everything and he gives everything. He says, use your worldly wealth to make friends so that when it's gone, they'll welcome you into eternal dwellings. The, the idea here is that, is that you'll use the wealth God's given you in such a way that when you die and you stand before the Lord in judgment and the accomplished work of Christ and his shed blood covers you from the judgment of the Father, that on that day when you stand before him like that, you'll then come into heaven. It'll be a big banner that will say, welcome whoever your name is. Welcome Laura, welcome, welcome Joe, welcome, right? And you'll meet a group of people and you'll be like, I don't know who you are. They'll say, well, you were part of James North Baptist Church and you gave the money that the Lord gave you to the work there and I lived in the housing. I only lived there for a couple of years, but because I had housing, I was intrigued about the things the Lord occasionally I'd slip into your services. And seven years after I left, the Lord saved me. I was part of the Karen congregation that you supported. I mean, that, the housing is costing us $2.8 million of our money. The Karen is costing us $60,000, $65,000. That doesn't include staff time of myself or Marcio or Diana or Paul or Derek or others. Jenna. And maybe there'll be a young man there and he'll say, I, I was coming because of what God was doing in our midst. I didn't give my life to the Lord, then I moved out to Winnipeg, but about 12 years later, the Lord gripped my heart and this seed was sown from the work at James North Baptist Church. You see, you use your worldly wealth in such a way that you make friends for the kingdom that when it's gone, one day they'll be there to welcome you into eternal dwellings. Maybe it's supporting kids through Compassion International. Do you know that the median Canadian in 2019, according to Stats Canada, gave $310? That means half of the Canadians, 15 and up, gave less than 310 and half gave over 310. That's what they gave. Do you know the average Canadian in 2019 gave $446 to charity? I mean, if we tithe, Right? And you make 30000 that's $3,000, $40,000, $4,000. Right? Because God calls us to tithe. I mean, it's clear in his word. We're to give our first fruits of the first thing we're to do. The first thing we're to do with any money that comes our way is what? We honor God with it. If not, we're robbing God and he calls us greedy. Now, who does this? If you're a believer. And there's no excuse clause. Well, you know, I'm a student. I got tuition. Like, what? Oh, yeah, that's, that might be in the book of Hosea. If you're a student, you don't have to honor God with your wealth. When I'm getting married, oh yeah, that might be in the book of James. If you're getting married, you don't have to honor God with your wealth. There's no excuse clause anywhere in Scripture, is there? Well, but I got bills. Oh yeah, well, that, that might be in the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. There is no clause in Scripture that says at this point in your life, you don't honor God with the wealth he's given you generously and cheerfully. God just says, you do it. You do it because you're my child. What does he say? Where you spend your money, where your treasure is, there your 
There your heart is. God says, you want to know what your heart looks like? Take a look at your debit card. Take a look at your credit card. It will tell you. And then he says this in verse 13. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. You see, when money is your master, you will never have enough. When money is your master, you will use people to get stuff. When money is your master, you, will give, you can give reluctantly, but not from a joy-filled heart. When money is your master, you will justify spending, and you will rob God. Why you need that cell phone? Why you need that new TV? Why you need that? Like, you'll just rob God. And in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, when Paul is handing the man who is sexually immoral over to Satan, what does he say? Read this this afternoon. It's a great read. He says, I don't want you to associate with anyone who calls themselves a believer and is sexually immoral. What's the second word in the list he gives? Or greedy. What is the prime definition of greed? Someone who robs God of what they owe him. That is greed. So the first thing you should do with the wealth God's given you is give it to him. And for some of you, you might need help in that, which is why you could just, I mean, I think there's a whole bunch of people in our church, and I want you to know we have a business meeting coming up next week where you're going to hear that God has provided an abundance for our church. This has got nothing to do with our need right now. It's got to do with our heart. My prayer is that everyone in this church honors God with their wealth. My, my prayer is that that means for some of us, we sign up for direct deposit, so it just automatically comes out twice a month. Because some of us keep saying we'll send that e-transfer. We never do it. We'll keep writing that check, but it never happens. And you use your worldly wealth to make friends so that when it's gone, they're there to welcome you into heaven. Now listen, I need to close in a couple minutes, but i got to tell some stories. I'm going to go a little over. Just warning everybody, including the kids' ministry, if they're hearing this. So what do we do? We serve God with our time, talent, and treasure. There's a variety of ways we do it. Sometimes we do it in our homes through fostering and through adoption. Sometimes we volunteer at a local mission agency. So there's ways we do it with our neighbors around us, sharing the gospel with them. I'm not saying that you don't need to be rejuvenated. We do. I mean, I said to Amy, you know, earlier this week before I knew what today would look like, I said, hey, do you want to have some people over tonight and hang out before it gets too cold and have an outdoor gathering? We've had three outdoor gatherings at our house, two with people from James North and friends and, and one with family in, in the last month and had between 20 and 30 people at our house. And, you know, Amy and I have just, it's been busy. It's been, I've been out a lot these last few weeks. And Amy just, hey, you know, why don't we this Sunday just kind of hang out with us? We'll figure out something later. I'm like, sure. Because that's part of being married and part of figuring out what that looks like. I mean, I, mean, I could just have people over every night. Right? And, and, and that doesn't work well for our marriage and life. I'm not, I'm not saying you don't need to think through these things and what that looks like and the different capacities and wirings and how God's gifted you. But the thing I love about Amy and I is that, is that she's also always willing to serve and host. Right? And, and do that. But, but we need to figure this out together. And I mean, the Lord really used that because what on earth would I be done, doing today if we were having people over at four o'clock? I'm not, I'm not saying that you don't need to figure out the ebb and flow of life. I'm not saying that there aren't seasons where, you know, you're looking after an, a, a child that's sick or ailing parents. But most of us just continually make excuses as to why we don't pitch into God's kingdom. You know, I, I walked in here on, on Thursday night after a meeting, and I looked at the youth. Derek had 25 or so youth out that night, and there's this group playing basketball from all the nations of the world. It was incredible to watch. 
So many of them from non-Christian homes, some of them from our homes. Who's going to share the gospel with them? I mean, Derek needs an, an army. We need an army. I mean, we had 30 kids show up at, at our first kids zone meeting a couple weeks ago. And a lot of them were our kids. Who's going to invest in them and share the love of Christ with them? So what we've watched some of the caring young people go through, we pray that we don't go through to the same extent. And I know we make all kinds of excuses right now. One of the excuses is that we're in a pandemic. I mean, I quoted this 20 years ago. And a number of times over the years, but through the pandemic, this has become a famous quote. Rodney Stark, in his book, The Rise of Christianity, he wrote these words as a sociologist who wasn't a believer when he wrote them, but he, he tried to understand as a non-believer why Christianity took over the then-known world. This is what happens. In AD 165, a plague struck. Over a 15-year period, a 15-year plague, a quarter of the Roman Empire to nearly a third died. And those that were plagued were abandoned to die and left alone. But then Dionysius, Bishop of Alexandra, wrote about what the Christians did lead this, read, hear this. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, not sparing themselves and thinking of each other. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick. They attended to their every need. They ministered to them in Christ and with them departed this life serenely happy. That means they died as they looked after people with the plague. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their neighbors' pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. And he would say that that is why Christianity took over the world. That right there. No one on the planet could explain a group of people who would give their lives so others could live. It's what we're called to do. Adoniram Judson was born in 1788. He went to India with his wife in 1812 after a radical, a radical transformation of God in his life. They were there less than a year when they were kicked out because missionaries weren't allowed there. In 1813, he went to Burma where he stayed for 37 years. He buried three of his children. He buried two of his wives, who in all accounts joyfully served with him there. He spent three years studying the language so that he began to have converts. After 12 years of work, 18 people had given their lives to Christ. He was incarcerated at one time for 17 years. And as he was incarcerated, he sat in jail translating the Bible. As he was dying in 1961, en route, because they finally were sending him home, he was so sick, he finished the translation of the Bible into Burmese. It's the Bible the Karen Church still uses to this day. I'm not asking you to do that. Well, there's a whole group of them meeting with us every week. Now a part of our groups on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Sunday mornings. Longing to learn. When I sit with the young men and I say, let's turn to John. They don't know where John is. They don't know. Think of a dentist, Patrick. Believer who every Christmas would take the bills of people who couldn't pay him. And he would write them a letter and say, your bill is paid in full. And then he would explain why. He said, I owed my God a bill. 
that I could never pay. And his son Jesus paid my bill. And so I am paying yours and pointing him, pointing you, sorry, to him. When I read this story years ago, he had at that time led over 70 of his clients to faith in Christ. Some of whom got into full-time ministry. I think of my own kids. Amy and I were in Ottawa, Montreal recently. Jewel looked at me at one point on the trip and looked at me and said, Dad, I have realized I love cities. I just love cities, she said. And I'm like, yes, because I need a city lover in my house because Amy loves cottage, I love city, and on vacation we differ. And Ivy had already teamed up with Amy saying, I love, I love doing nothing. Why have we walked 12 kilometers today? Like my, my little device, I don't have a, a, just my phone, said to me, you know, be careful you don't have a heart attack, basically. Like you're walking a lot. Um, you've really, you know, up, like, and, and it's not with me. I don't carry my phone when I walk in the mornings and stuff, but it was like, you know, should you be doing this almost? I mean, why is there warning signs on my phone? You know, it, we were walking, you know, we want to see downtown Montreal, and Jewel's like, I love the city. Then we were walking across a great encampment. And Jewel looked at me and said, Dad, can we do something? I said, oh, honey, I can't right now. But I said, you know what happened, right? We, we put housing in our church, Jewel. I said, God did that. God provided the money so that we could house 49 people in the building that we're a part of so that people don't have to live in encampments. And I said, and Jewel, we did that. We did that. As a community of believers together at James North Baptist Church, we sacrificed and gave so that this would be part of who we are. And then I said to her this, and your mom and I did it. We sacrificed. We did. We thought through what not to buy. We gave to the government audit us to, I can't comprehend how many times they've asked me for my receipts. Because they have formulas to figure out what you give and what you have. Can you say that to your kids? God did it. We did it. And our family was a part of it. Not, not, not because you threw a couple of dollars here and there, but because you prayerfully sacrificed and thought through what it looked like. I, I remember, and I'll close with this, a number of years ago, a guy left our church. He wrote me a letter. He was so angry with me. And he said, in your sermons, you say things like in a similar way to Jesus dying so we can live, God is calling us to die so others can live. And he said, I'm tired of hearing you say that. He said, he said this, I don't believe that is true, and even if it is, I don't want it to be. Have you read your Bible? Have you read the New Testament? Take up your cross and follow me. I mean, how many of the apostles died horrific, tragic deaths to take what was given to them, the resurrected Christ, and share him with the world? Most of us will never face penalty of death. And yet honoring God with our wealth and serving him faithfully becomes a burden that we create excuses for rather than a joy and delight in serving our God. Jesse, would you and the team come up and as we close with a couple of songs, I'm not going to come up to ask people to pray in the middle. But as we sing these songs, I'm just going to ask you to prayerfully ask God. Have I been honoring you with my wealth? Like, God, am I someone, whether I'm 18 sitting here today, and I'm a believer, or I'm 55? 
Have I been honoring you with the wealth you've given me, God? Whether I'm a student or fully employed? God, have I been serving you? Am I, am I part of the body of Christ you're serving you? Because here's what I want for each of us. That we delight in what God has called us to do using the energy he's granted us so that as we use that energy and we serve the Lord, we watch God work. At the end of October, I'm baptizing one more of the young Karen men who's been part of this Bible study with me. Because he is a good God who loves to save. And though I wish to God that that young man who was gunned down on Friday had come out when his friends had asked him to, had given his life to Christ, had repented and believed, today I will comfort that congregation. But in the next few weeks, like I challenge you, I will challenge them, oh Lord, may this never happen again. May you use your worldly wealth in such a way that you gain friends. That when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Would you pray with me? You are our God and you are good. God, we simply confess and admit that all of this is you. You led us to this building. You provided housing so that even someone like Daniel could join us and live here. Over a decade ago, God, you called us to walk alongside of the Karen. And for that, we are thankful. It's been a long, sometimes challenging, hard road. God, we pray your blessing on them, and we thank you for the work you've called us to with them. God, some of us here today are, are struggling because we don't know what gifts we have. May you help us to identify the gifts you've granted us. God, some of us are struggling because even in this moment, we're creating all kinds of excuses about why this isn't about us. God, may you rebuke us. And Jesus, may we be a people who, because of what you have done for us, are willing to give up anything you call us to so that we can serve you in the way you're asking us to. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.